Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nikki. Mm. Been blessed this morning? Good. It may stop right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. Well, greetings, beloved. How are you doing today? Good. Amen. Me too, man. Good to be here. Um, if I went out before the service this morning and began to talk to kind of, uh, I talked to many of you this morning, but I didn't ask you this question, but if I asked the congregation today, you know, what are we here to do today? Um, I would imagine we would have almost perfect unity. We would say some variants of the concept of worship, right? That's why we're here to do what we're here to do today. But I, if I followed that question up with a secondary question, which is what is worship? I would imagine then the unity that we experience in the first question would start to change, right? Some would say things like, you know, I'm here for fellowship. That's worship for me. Uh, I, I sing a little bit. I love to sing. That's my passion, right? Some would say I'm here for the preaching. Uh, some would say fishing. <laughs> I know who you are. <laughs> some would say looking at mountains, right? I put some pictures of mountains up here. So my premise is this is that we're all here to do the same thing, worship, but that thing that we're here to do may be a little bit confusing. And so my aim today, uh, with the Scripture and obviously, more importantly, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, is to help us to get to a unified place, not only unified in why we are here, but also unified in what we are actually here to do today. Only through the power of the Spirit and the Word. Amen? So let's pray that we get there today. Uh, let's stand, if it's okay, in honor of reading God's word. Uh, it won't be a long time, don't fear. <laughs> One verse today. Amen. We'll read it to you today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... Lord, all the things that you've done already this morning uh, through the working of your spirit. God, you've wrestled with hearts that were far from you already in this service. And Lord, we just join the crescendo of praises to you today through the reading of your scripture. And we thank you for that word, Lord. It is sure and it is a rock today. God, I ask that now everything that comes after this, that Lord, that the words I say will be empowered by your spirit and that you will move in the hearts of men and women. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Feel free to grab a seat, church. Um, we're going to simply walk through the text today. And uh, Paul starts with this concept. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And I think it's important when we're reading any portion of Scripture to understand this is the middle of a letter. So context matters. And so we're not going to read all the first chapters, of 11 chapters of Romans. Don't fear, okay? Okay. Uh, when I preach, normally you're out really early, and that will be the case again today, so don't fear, okay? But, but if we went through the first 11 chapters of Romans, you would see this crescendo of theological reasoning about God and how he operates and how he extends himself to people. You know, I, I sketched out a few of the things that we would have read if we went back and read Romans 1 through 11. That the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What an incredible high thought, right? We would read that God has revealed through his creation his attributes. That everyone who comes to God must come to God in one way, and that is through 
from grace through faith through Jesus Christ alone. We will read that. Think about this for a moment. This grand thought that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not tribulation or distress or, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. That nothing can keep us from the love of God in Christ. And then Paul finishes. This is the verses immediately preceding what we're reading today. He says this in Romans eleven thirty three. Through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 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 What's kind of strange, though, about Paul's letter to the Romans is that if you read the first 11 chapters to where we're at today, it's really absent of something that's in most of Paul's letter, which is practical application. You think about it. We're actually, Pastor Conrad's leading us through 1 Corinthians, right? Put out the wicked man from you. Uh, don't worship your teachers, right? All these clear, practical applications. Uh, you think about other letters that he wrote. It's kind of just practical application after practical application. But really, the first 11 chapters of Romans, there's not much practical application. So to understand kind of where we're at in context, in essence, he's built up to this point, and it's kind of a pivotal chapter in the book. He's changing from kind of all this theological reasoning to now the practical application. So this is the start of the practical application. Uh, if you turn over your Bible to Romans 13, it would say uh, things like uh, practical matters like submitting to authorities, not passing judgment on trivial matters. So he moves back into that kind of practical application that he normally does. So to understand Romans 12, we must see it as the beginning of the application of all the glorious truths in the first 11 chapters. So Paul writes... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. In context, he's saying all of the glorious truths in the first 11 chapters about God demand a response. If you want to just talk about worship in the basic sense, the Webster definition of it, it is a response. In fact, I've, I think I've got the Webster's de de definition here, right? To honor or show reverence for as a divine being or natural power, or definition two, to regard with great or exaggerate respect, honor, or devotion a celebrity worshiped by her or his fans, right? So that's kind of the, the basic Webster de definition of what worship is. And I would assume that if I ask what is worship, well, everyone would define it as, you know, it's something that I do that I feel that honors God. I mentioned singing, right? Listening to sermons, maybe giving, other things like that, right? But follow with me for a moment, okay? I fear for many Christians that we kind of have a Webster's Dictionary understanding of worship, but we don't take it any further. See, maybe we do something like, whatever I feel like honors God, like I'll sing a little bit, maybe I'll, I'll put more money in or time in than other people do, and that's worship. And so whatever we decide to label out of our activities worship, then that's kind of what we offer is worship. We say we are now worshiping, right? And you may say, Aaron, that doesn't sound too bad. 
Well, let me try to give an illustration why I think that may not be the best approach to understand biblical worship, okay? My daughter, Edie, um, recently turned six years old, although I still tell everybody she's five because I'm not letting her grow up. Amen, dads? (laughs) I figured she would give me a response to that, but she didn't. (laughs) I'm six, dad. (laughs) So, you know, I really wanted to honor her. And so what I did is I went to Publix, okay? And you you guys know that red velvet chocolate, uh, that red velvet cake bar? Oh, best thing they make, right? (laughs) Got her one of those, okay? Woke her up in the morning, first thing. Congratulations, honey. I'm glad you turned six today. I said, let's get ready real quick. I loaded her up in the car, and I took her down to Orlando, and we went down to a great gun store called Shoot Straight, and we looked at guns. (laughs) And then, man, if you thought the day couldn't get better, (laughs) and then I took her over, and we went over and looked at a couple used Land Cruisers that they have in downtown Orlando, which is the greatest car ever made, Toyota Land Cruiser. And then we drove her back. (laughs) And then, you know, I thought, what would be the cherry on top of this day? And I said, Edie, will you massage my feet? (laughs) I mean, can I tell you it was a special day? And I hope you're like, that sounds like a terrible day for a six-year-old's birthday party. Um, The red velvet cake was the only thing good. Well, what you don't know, maybe, is that Edie has a a dairy condition that she can't even eat the cake. So even the cake was actually not good for her. If you're worried, don't worry. That's not what happened, okay? Um, I ended up at the American Girl doll store. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm trapped. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Do kids care about what happens on their birthday? Yes. I mean, we had a condition in our household, uh, we have four kids going on five, um, where the day after their existing birthday, they would start planning next year's birthday. And so, hey, this is a free one, by the way, if you've got young kids. We enacted a rule in our house that you can't talk about your birthday until your birthday is the next birthday. That's gold if you want that, parents, by the way. (laughs) But see, here's what I'm saying to you. Kids have zero problem, right, planning and showing how they want to be honored. And here's my point. If we approach worship from kind of a Webster's Dictionary understanding of it, kind of whatever we want to do to honor God, we could easily be replicating the first birthday for Edie, right? Kind of whatever we decide. Or worse, we could be like Cain and Abel, right? Not offering what the Lord requires. See, the Lord has no problem regulating worship in saying what he requires of worship. See, the danger is that if we're left to kind of whatever our imagination is regarding worship, uh, we're in a really, really bad spot. In fact, Paul's already addressed this in his letter to the Romans uh, in Romans 1, and this is 22 through 23. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And man, that verse could be written yesterday. What we've done with worship is utter blasphemy. 
I saw some guy ranting the other day about in Germany, uh, they have signs that say guys must urinate sitting down, and so that means that they've departed from God. I mean, where, I mean, okay, you're ripping some Old Testament passages and using them, and we'll talk about that later on, but it's like you're just rumbling and mumbling, right? That's what people do in pulpits now. No connection to the Word of God. Just kind of whatever random thought they've got that day. I heard Vody Bauckham, and Vody is very gifted, and he talked about modern worship within churches uh, is manipulative. Fascinating concept. Um, he said that, in essence, it's, it's almost like, and the way I equate it to is, remember the prophets of Baal, or Bilal? I don't know. Kentucky was Baal, so whichever one. <laughs> um, they're like, cut yourself, right? Elijah and the prophets, right? Maybe, maybe you got to sing louder. And he talked about worship. It's like we're trying to manipulate God that if we just sing it loud enough, here's what he said. When the praises go up, the, you ever heard this? Blessings come down. It's like God's a Pez dispenser, and if we just do it right and we jack the thing right, he will give us what we want. See, this is my concern, is that worship's left to the imagination, and you see what happens according to this verse. We exchange it for whatever you can imagine. See, what I love is that God doesn't leave us there regarding worship to our futile thoughts and foolish minds. He actually is very clear about this matter, about what he requires and what he calls worship. And it's in our verse. Romans 12, 1 will end uh, the verse today. I'm not done yet. <laughs> Somebody was already getting hungry. <laughs> By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in this section of Scripture and I want to start with the end section. He says, which is your spiritual worship, okay? Um, and I want to start there because, in essence, what he's saying is whatever is preceding, the preceding thought, is what God defines as worship, okay? The word here, worship, uh, there's a word behind that in the original language, and it literally means service, offering of service, okay? So what is your worship, your service? That should be a big clue already that it's called service, Right? So let's see what it is. This is worship, and it starts with a fascinating concept. By the mercies of God. See, for us to understand worship, it must start with the mercy of God. And let me explain to you the reason why. Romans, in Romans 5, Paul said this already preceding this verse. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, worship must start with mercy because we are a people in need of mercy. See, I hear this all the time in modern worship and worship leaders, that we're bringing to God something great ourselves, right? Hear me. We are people in need of mercy. He created us. All things are created through him and for him, right? So we're his whether or not we acknowledge that or not. But we're not bringing him something grand. See, God had to extend mercy according to this verse. And mercy means this, compassion or forgiveness extended to those who were within your power to punish. Did you see the verse? 
God showed his love to us while we were still sinners. While we were in direct rebellion to him, he extended mercy to us. So if there's anything in this room that would rise to the level of worship this morning, it must start with God's mercy. I love this, John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. See, God initiates, we respond. Worship is a response. And if you think back over your life, even the person who maybe is in here for the first time ever walking into a church, or at least in a long time, if you look back over the, the, the annuals of your life, from the very first moments of your life, you have been drenched by mercy, undeservedly, amen? While we were lying, while we were thieving, thefting, I don't know, help me out, it's Kentucky. <laughs> while we were doing all of these things, while we were dishonoring our parents, the Lord has been drenching us with mercy because at every moment we deserved wrath, right? But God has been extending mercy upon mercy. So worship must start with God enacting mercy upon us, which is what he's done, amen? amen. And God's initiation mandates our response to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what God defines as worship, the text would say worship is to present what? Your bodies as what? Hey, this is not hard, right? It's amazing. We just dedicate ourselves to the scripture, how much we can grow in a day, you know? Um, see, the Old Testament priests, which if you've read any much of the Old Testament priest, they would offer dead animal sacrifices, right? We are called to offer living sacrifices, just as a priest would come in and bring an animal and lay them upon the altar, right? So we come and we bring our lives and lay them down on the altar as living sacrifices. Amen? Amen. See, God changed worship. He's, he's got the ability to do that, right? He can redefine things. And he does that between the Old and the New Testament. We, we see this in John 4 when he's talking to the woman at the well. And this is John 4, 23 and 24. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And see, that's the change, right? There's a change that's going to happen. That worship isn't going to be geographically centered anymore as it was in the Old Testament, right? It's, you don't have to face a certain city like certain faiths do, right? We're not commanded to come to some physical structure, the temple, right? That's been abolished now. We worship in truth lived out through the Spirit. And some of you may be saying right now, Ha, ah, I finally found an honest pastor. I don't have to come here. <laughs> well, hold up, friend. Hold up. Okay. Not the final word on the matter. Give me a minute, okay? Let me try to build a thought here. There's clear commands to gather with the saints, right? You can do that here or, or somewhere, right? But it doesn't negate the clear commandment to gather, right? We're called to do that. But hear me out. I don't want you here just because you feel like you have to be here. I want you here because you want to be here. Because there's something that happens when we gather here that's truly profound. And I want to walk you through Scripture and show that. So I won't have to get you to come. You'll want to come. 
Amen? Amen. This is 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. Think upon this with me for a moment. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up, into, built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, as each one of us comes as a living sacrifice, we collectively, with all the born-again saints from all over the world, act as a royal priesthood, offering sacrifices to God. And when we get the chance to gather with the saints, we get to kind of see it a little bit, right? We can't see the global unseen realities of what's going on this morning, right? But we get a tangible example of that when we gather together. And it's beyond what even we can see here, right? This gathering, not the building, right? The gathering of the saints. You get a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on, that there is a spiritual house being built for your God. What an opportunity. And you may say something like this, well, Aaron, I, mean, I gather every week and I don't sense anything like that going on. Let me issue a word of caution, okay? If we're not living sacrifices outside these walls, my friends, we will not be sacrifices in here either, right? If we're not living sacrifices outside these rooms, then there's no hope that we would come into this room and magically conjure up worship pleasing to God. We may gather each week. We may sing songs. We may give. We may be a deacon. We may be a pastor. We may lead the worship. But listen, if we're not offering our lives as spiritual sacrifices, then we're not doing what God calls worship. But listen, my friends, if that is going on, this is an incredible place to be. You're part of a royal priesthood offering sacrifices to your God. Maybe my, since I haven't grabbed your heart maybe fully yet, let me try. I'm going to start with a, um, another example, but a practical and unspiritual example, and then I'll bring it back, okay? A few weeks back, uh, we had the opportunity to go to a conference for my daughter. Uh, she has a genetic condition called galactosemia. Um, it's a pretty complex issue, but basically... Uh, there's a, a break in her DNA code where she doesn't produce an enzyme that converts out a dairy-based uh, sugar. So uh, it's very, it can be dangerous and probably will be uh, consequential in some senses. But um, I had never had the opportunity to meet another parent of a child with galactosemia. And so um, I sat down with parents, parents from all over the place, other countries and stuff, because uh, it's kind of a rare condition, and um, began to hear their stories. And it was amazing how much all of a sudden we had in common. You know, there was this bond that, um, man, we, we faced that too. We walked through that too. Um, got some pictures here. Uh, it's funny because, obviously, because it's a genetic uh, kind of abnormality, um, all of us are probably linked somewhere on the family tree. And so if you look at the picture, you see all the kids. They could all be siblings. <laughs> they all have blonde hair. Uh, pretty cute. Uh, I thought this was funny. When I signed Edie into one of the events, uh, dairy, 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 dairy. Uh, quite a bit of commonality and, in fact, encouraging uh, in one sense. And then uh, if you see this, Edie got a medal while she was there. 
uh, because she, um, she's participating in a clinical trial. And um, sometimes, I don't know, I don't know how many blood draws a day she's done, but sometimes eight, some silly number like that. And so what she's doing is she's offering her body as a sacrifice for the next generation because, honestly, whatever things that are going to impact her are probably already done, but the next generation are benefiting from her participation in this research. And, man, I left feeling like, man, I'm part of a community all of a sudden, and then I'm not at this alone and I know there's going to be some challenges, and I'm ready for them. That's, that's a practical, unspiritual example of what should be happening here every single week. Man, what happens here should be sweeter and fuller, right? As a group, we're gathered not to get, but to give, right? Give of ourselves. We find those who are worthy of honor. I love how Pastor Conrad's brought some of the people who have served their lives as missionaries. And we don't give them a little token. We let them share about what God's done, and and their jewels are already stored for them. Amen? Amen. In heaven. We find those who are trailing behind, and we say, come, come back to the Lord. Don't depart his ways. Right? We pick up the saint that's got their head drooping, and we lift it up and say, look to the cross again. Amen? Amen? But you got to be part of this thing to make that happen, right? But this should be an incredible experience for us. But let us not forget this can also be missed. Um, you could be presented today, we could be presented today, with the greatest songs ever written, right? Pastor Conrad could have called Fred's favorite preacher, John MacArthur, and had him fill in, right, Fred? <laughs> Fred's like, I'd have been awake then, man. <laughs> But to call what we're doing here worship, each heart must respond by giving parts of their lives that previously were uncommitted or maybe in rebellion as living sacrifices to the Lord. And that exchange, that transaction that happens within, right, that response is biblically what the, what the, what the Lord desires for worship is that. He desires the rebellion in your heart to be confronted and, and tamed and brought into submission to the living God as a sacrifice. Does that make sense? And if that's not happening here, then we are not worshiping. And see, I wanted to talk on this subject and preach on this subject because there's so much confusion on this subject. I addressed some of the confusion earlier, but, but have you ever heard of a term called worship wars? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that term. Oh, wait, raise them like you're proud. <laughs> okay, one person. That's cool. That actually makes me know who we are, by the way. And I'm not saying we have worship wars here at First Baptist Geneva. I've actually written that in my notes, okay? But it's very common in churches, particularly in our culture, to divide and fight over their individual preferences in certain things like music, preaching styles. I've heard debate on carpet before. Preacher's hairstyle, or lack of hair, maybe not. <laughs> um, so instead of applying a biblical understanding of worship, which is the giving of oneself, right, as a living sacrifice, what happens a lot of times in churches is they, they, they redefine. And by the way, whenever you redefine something the Lord has defined, you reduce it. Always. 
So people redefine worship and they make worship now whatever their individual preferences is in songs or the preaching or whatever it is. And then they, they love to do this. They raise their standard up so high that they fight other believers. Ah, things that make a pastor want to bang his head against a wall, right? And it goes on all over. I'm shocked that you guys, maybe you just never heard the term, but you've experienced probably the reality of that, right? Um, we sound a lot like 1 Corinthians, right? I like this way. I like this thing. I like this person. Foolishness. See, worship is defined by the Lord. And for us to have unity on matters, the Lord has to set the definitions. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tozer said about this within unity, he wrote this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. 100 worshipers meet together each one looking away to Christ and in, are in heart closer to each other or nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to, distri- to strive for closer fellowship. Do you see that? For us to have unity, we need to let the Lord set the definitions of worship. and He's clear about that. See, because when we gather for worship, let me just kind of give some parameters. First of all, the Lord... Uh, you can look through Ephesians 5, there's other passages where the Lord talks about what should happen when we gather, okay? There should be clear order and structure to some of the things that we do here. We don't just kind of draw in the hat and figure out what we're going to do this week. Maybe we'll sing a song, maybe we'll do this. The Lord defines what he wants in public worship for the saints, okay? But as far as singing, okay, let's kind of walk through this real quick. The singing should simply be singable. should be songs that are easy to sing, Right? Creative melodies are not really have a good place here. Uh, all the wild acrobatics. It should be singable for a group of people that come into the room, right? Is that easy? And those songs should press you to live your life as a living sacrifice. Okay? Preaching should be a passionate plea rooted in Scripture to live your lives as a living sacrifice. I mean, I want you to think, think about what we sung this morning, okay? I'm calling on the God of David who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I've got some giants, right? Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. You're the rock of ages. I'm standing on you. How about the second one, right? There's a reason why the heart can be courageous. Might have came in today not feeling very courageous. As we sing that out, as you begin to hear saints, some around you that are suffering greatly, You begin to hear them say, there's a reason why the heart can be courageous. There's a reason why the dead are made alive. Even if this sickness takes my very life, I have hope in Christ. Do you hear that? There's a reason why we share his resurrection. Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. The heart should feel things like that. I shouldn't have to be a cheerleader just trying to get it past your vocal cords, right? That's not enough. That's 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 a baseline goal is to get it out your mouth. To get it in the heart's a totally different thing, right? It should flow out in passion for the Lord. I love Nikki. Thank you for, you didn't prepare for worship. You just led us in another part of it, amen? You are the rock of ages. You're the great I am. I know you by a thousand names, right? Love it. You're the lion of Judah, the risen lamb. And beloved, delight should arise out of our hearts, right? If we are born again. 
I mean, when you hear things like we've just sung, even the driest soul should be awakened to live as a living sacrifice. Not out of dry duty, right? We're not doing this out of dry duty, I pray. I pray not. Because that is dangerous, my friends. I read this quote a few weeks back from Dr. John Piper, and he said this. Parents, sit on this one for a second. The greatest stumbling block for children in worship is their parents do not cherish the hour. Children can feel the difference between duty and delight. Therefore, the first and most important job of a parent is to fall in love with the worship of God. You can't impart something what you don't possess. Whew. Worse caught than taught, right? They hear those conversations. Oh, let's get ready and go. Oh. We get to go worship our God day kids. With joy get in this car. Couldn't think of anything else I would rather do today. Those are the conversations at your house, right? <laughs> I hope. That's wisdom, by the way. So worship is laying down our lives as living sacrifices. But there's one additional qualifier he puts upon it. Holy and acceptable to God. See, worship isn't just offering lives, but they're lives that are in a specific state. Holy and acceptable. And uh, if you kind of work through the language of that, which we won't this morning a lot, but holiness has it with the concept of consecration, okay? Being set apart is probably an easier English version of that. Uh, we read about that in the Old Testament in kind of some practical ways. Here's a couple verses on that. Uh, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them and washed their garments. Uh, Second Samuel, this is after David's child died. Um, then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went down to the house of the Lord and worshipped. So in an Old Testament perspective, the ideal of set apart, cleansed, is the ideal of washed, purified, right? When the New Testament, we're not talking about an exterior washing, but we're talking about interior. Something the Lord must do. Something that's only possible through Christ. See, we can't be holy and acceptable without Christ. When we hear the gospel that Christ died for our sins, was buried and resurrected on the third day, and we believe that, there's an awakening within our hearts. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but we're made alive in Christ. We see that, we repent, we believe that. What happens is that now, internally, the old heart that was dead, that was a rock, is removed and a heart of flesh is put within the bones. And now the cloak of Christ's righteousness is wrapped around me in all of his goodness. I now behold. And I'm holy and acceptable, not because of the past, because if you knew Aaron... You'd be like, he's not wholly acceptable because we are never led in worship then. But in Christ I am. Amen. Amen? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ has become to us our holiness. That's the holiness we need to, to worship is what Christ offers in himself. But see, that's not enough, beloved. We also have the delight because of what Christ has done 
to make every effort to live our life set apart from sin for his honor. Why would we not do that, right? What a grand thing that he's done for us. Just as they wash their physical bodies to be set apart, so we wash our lives of what God has called sin. And listen, friends. Through Christ, the war against sin is won, right? It is over. But my friends, guess what? <laughs> There's some battles that are still going to happen. There's some fighting that should still be going on, right? We've been free from the power of sin, Romans 6, I believe it says that. So we're not under its obligation anymore like we were before we were Christians. Before we were Christians, even our most kind deed were rooted in sin, self. If we are in Christ, we've been set free from that. We're not obligated to sin anymore. So stop, let us stop running back to it, right? As if it still has the same control. It's like the, the slaves from our treached past that would, when they were free, they didn't know what to do, would come back. Let us not be that with Christ, amen? amen. Let us not return back to that, that horrible life. I love Revelations 14. I was reading it this morning, and uh, it talks about the 144 as they come before the Lord, that they're holy and pure and able to offer worship to him. Can you imagine that day, beloved, when this breath falls out of this body, I will then be more like Christ than I can imagine at this point, right? And I'll be free to truly worship him at that moment, but not till that moment. Until then, we fight the battle each day, right? We try to live our lives more completely as living sacrifices moment by moment. How do we do that? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 reads this. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy the strongholds. Amen? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when the obedience is complete. Worship band, if you guys want to go and make your way up, if that's okay. This is our prayer, that Lord... Destroy those last strongholds of sin. We come together. Lord, there's arguments this week that have arisen in my heart that are against you. And I just plead with you, Lord, to crush those doubts today. Because, Lord, I want to live more as a living sacrifice to you. Amen? Amen? Crush those things that keep me from living for you, Lord. I want to live a holy and acceptable life, which our verse says is what? Worship. It's acceptable to God and it is worship. Let the Lord define what worship is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. Um, but listen, some of you guys today, the gospel's been through all the songs and through all the sermon today. Uh, if you need to repent and believe the gospel today, if you need to make that public acknowledgement, the scripture would say that's what you should do. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, if there's something in your heart that you're like, man, I am not a living sacrifice in this area. This is a chance to offer that, right? That's what Pastor Conrad says. This is the altar, right? Come to the Lord. Lay it down. There's something powerful about coming to an altar and physically doing what's going on internally. Amen?
All right, let's pray and we'll uh, respond today. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, now um, the reverb happens, Lord, where you start working in hearts and moving hearts. And God, we just ask you to do that all for your glory and your name's sake. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said, Amen.